Hi. Hello, is this Wynn? Yes. This is Rick Elias from Golden Door. Hey, it's Waldon. Hello, yeah, this is me. Oh, I'm so nervous right now. You're nervous. A little nervous? All right, how about this? How about I cut to the chase, and I'll just say, you have nothing to be nervous about. You're going to college. Congratulations. You're a Golden Door scholar. <laughs> what you just heard was two high school seniors finding out that they would be able to go to college thanks to Golden Door Scholars, a program launched in 2013 that provides scholarship and career opportunities to undocumented students. Since 2013, Golden Door has awarded 473 four-year scholarships and has seen applications from nearly 10,000 other high-achieving applicants. The team has created a community of students who believe in themselves and support each other. That community includes our two guests today, Maggie and Teresa. To fully appreciate this conversation though, it's important to understand the bigger picture. If you watch the news, you've likely seen stories about DACA, which is an abbreviation for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. DACA was created via executive order in 2012 and made it possible for undocumented immigrants who were brought to the U.S. as children to apply for driver's licenses, social security numbers, and work permits. DACA has provided a temporary relief from deportation as well as work authorization to approximately 800,000 undocumented young people across the country. And his research has consistently shown it's not only improved the lives of undocumented young people and their families, but has also positively affected the American economy. Since 2012, DACA has been challenged in many ways. Most recently, in July of 2021, a federal judge ruled DACA illegal and the program stopped accepting applications. There are now 98,000 undocumented high school seniors graduating without a legal path to work. But this isn't just about DACA. In the 10 years since this temporary solution was put in place, Congress has failed to pass legislation that would create a permanent solution or a path to citizenship. Today's episode is dedicated to the hundreds of thousands of people whose future has been in limbo for more than a decade. And for those who are waiting, working, and wishing for a chance at the American dream, it's time their voices were heard. This is Three Things with Rick Elias. So Maggie, Teresa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So, so Teresa, do you remember when you got your Golden Door Scholar call? Yes, I actually got my phone call from Casey that year. Um, and my year was super interesting because I think GDS took on more scholars than they had initially anticipated. That happens every year, by the yeah. way. We can never decide and we always take on yeah. like a lot more than we say. <laughs> yeah, but I remember the phone call with Casey because she very much told me like, we want to take you and we want to pay for your education and we're going to keep moving forward with that and then we'll just keep you updated in that loop. You know, the, the, the story goes, the first class we were going to do four and we couldn't decide on ten. And then we ended up, okay, how much money do we have? And then, you know, given what we raised, we had 13 slots. So we, the first class, we did all the money we had. And then the next year, I think we were going to do 25, we did 35. And then we were going to do 40, we did 60. Then we we're going to do 60, we did 100. It's like, it's, the, it's so impossible. It's the worst. It's the best and the worst day because you know, really, in many ways, you're, you know, this is the last hope for, for many of these young people that are applying. And, and you see so much great in them that it, it's, it really is a bittersweet day. How about you, Maggie? You remember when you got your call? I do. I remember it was a weekday, so I had just gotten back from school, and I was expecting it, like, okay, at 3, they're going to call me. What, like, had my phone on, like, full volume and everything, and I remember I got the phone call from you, and you were scaring me a bit. You were, like, 
uh, I don't know, how did it go? How do you feel? You know, it's really competitive. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I got it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was good though, because thankfully it was, it was a good ending, right? I got the scholarship. I was really excited. And my mom was right there and she was like, oh my God, you were good. Like we did it. It was, it was a very, very happy moment. <laughs> that is awesome. It is. Uh, I, I think there's something there. Like we did it, you know, the, the sacrifice that you know, parents make for their kids and in many cases, you know, to the risk that they took and the courage that they had and in, in, in your cases, not only are you kind of setting the path forward for the rest of your family and for your kids, but the role model that you now are to so many young adults. So um, I think that's really cool. What, when did you find out that college would be very challenging for you uh, as someone who came to this country um, in, in, in a way that you don't have the necessary documents to, uh, to attend college as an in-state student. Yeah, so I actually found out I was undocumented, or I found out that our visa was expiring in 2007. I was in middle school, so I remember just kind of noting it in my diary. And it really wasn't until high school when like all my friends were getting their driver's license, maybe getting jobs and stuff, that I realized that, oh, I can't, I can't do any of that. And right around the same time, I also noticed that college was going to be just as big of an obstacle as all of the other stuff. So I knew that I had the grades and I had the passion and the work ethic to get through college, but I didn't have the financial ability to be able to get through it like anyone else would. Right. So let's explain that because... um if you're an undocumented uh, student, you don't get any federal financial aid. And furthermore, in 25 states, including North Carolina, where you're from, Maggie, and Georgia, where you're from, Teresa, you don't even get in-state tuition, right? So you're paying out-of-state rates to right. go to college, right? So, Teresa, you grew up in Georgia, um, yes. and you were, you're the first person in your family to graduate college. Um, when did you find out about the fact that you were undocumented and that you will have a very different path forward than a lot of your friends. Yeah, so I think a little bit different from Maggie, I actually immigrated to the U.S. when I was two. So for me, like, my immigration status was nothing that I really had any memory of or couldn't really relate in the same sense of being aware from a very young age. But my parents were very, like, straightforward growing up, telling me, you know, you're undocumented, and that means that there's gonna be a lot of different challenges that we don't really know how to handle, and your peers might not know how to handle. Nothing really could have prepared me for the challenges of, similar to Maggie living in, in a lockout state that didn't provide in-state tuition for immigrant students, or even just being able to find scholarships um, when a lot of them are geared towards citizenship. So, so Teresa, what, why, what made you wanna keep fighting? Because you know, what I find so remarkable about all, uh, all of you that I met is the fact that there seems to be no hope as you're going through this, but yet you, you do not drop your weapon. You do not give up. What made you keep going? I think that for me, uh, reflecting back, I just realized that a lot of the people who were put in my path were just so encouraging and so supporting and uplifting of me and whatever that they knew, regardless of whether or not they had knowledge on my immigration status. I didn't have a mindset of being limited by obstacles, but rather realizing that I had such a big support system behind me that even if I saw 
a thousand obstacles, I knew that I had people who could help me get across them. You know, that, that is such an important point, right? Because I think a lot of times we just need somebody to believe in us for us to believe in ourselves. And I think what you're saying is there were so many people that refused to see you through those eyes that you, you, you needed to push forward them. That is amazing. That, that, I love that story. Maggie, how about you? Why didn't you give up? Why did you have this drive to be so driven? So my parents came, right? Like they immigrated to the States with, I have an older brother and older sister and myself. Uh, and then my little sister was born here. But we immigrated and they were like in their early 30s. My brother was in his teens. So we had that American dream mindset. Like we needed to come. We needed to be successful. There is no other option. And that mindset was very much transferred to me where this is it like we're here for a reason we need to be successful and we're going to work to get to where we want to be it is amazing how this country was founded by immigrants and a lot of the core work ethic that you see in this country and the drive comes from that immigrant mindset and and you both represent that so well um, so tell me about the experience of being undocumented and, and kind of having to educate other people about it and, you know, what was that like? Did you face a lot of people that, you know, didn't understand or that, you know, really weren't sympathetic to it? Uh, or did you find out, you know, like, like you were talking about, Teresa, that most people were very sympathetic? What was that like? Like an experience that sort of stands out to me the most is that in in middle school, I want to say, one of the conversations that I had with some of my friends was just opening up to them about being undocumented. And I think that was probably one of the first instances where I opened up to someone about my status. And interestingly enough, like I had two friends and they both reacted very differently. Like one was very sympathetic, like really encouraging, like, what can I do for you? How can I better understand it? And the other at the time just sort of stepped back and like looked at me and was like, oh, actually, I don't think we can really be friends anymore because I don't know if my parents would really want me being friends with you. And so I think that that moment really affected me and like really changed my mindset. And it made me a lot more cautious of who do I open up to and how does that change their perception of me? Uh, Maggie, same question to you. Uh, tell, tell me, tell me what, those, what was that like for you? Yeah, I had a semi-similar experience in high school when I first came out to my uh, friends at the time, too. And the, the family that I thought was going to be more cautious was more supportive, and the family that I thought was going to be more supportive was more cautious of me. But regardless, that experience also really shaped, like, who do I tell? How do I tell people? Do I even tell them or should I just like hide it? And I took the the hidden path really. Um, and it wasn't until I actually went to community college and one of my classmates came up to me. He actually ended up being a Gold North Scholar, but he came up to me and he was like, hi, my name is, and then he gave me his name and then he said, I'm undocumented. Who are you? Like, and I was like, whoa. You can't say that. Like, hold on, this is a secret. Wait. Uh, but it really shaped, like, my experience of, like, oh, why am I afraid? Like, they're really, I shouldn't be afraid. If someone's going to judge me, like, that's, a, that's really on them. And I'm not really here to hurt anyone. So, funny enough, 
even though being undocumented really shaped my experience for a very long time of I have to be hidden, in the end, in the long run, it gave me more courage. And I'm, I'm really a more courageous person because of it, ironically, because it's, you're supposed to be hidden for so long. But after I surrounded myself with the right people, a lot of my Golden Door friends, a lot of my other undocumented friends, I got more courageous and started speaking up for us. And, and I would go to rallies and like speak, you know, talk about like why is this issue so important. And in the end, like I'm definitely a much more courageous and stronger person because of it. Yeah, I agree so much with Maggie's point on courage because I think that. When DACA passed in 2012, I feel like it just emboldened the immigrant community so much. And I remember being, feeling like so empowered by that and being able to apply. And it honestly like scared my parents so much because for the longest time, we very much had a mindset of just living under the radar and just trying to stay hidden and just trying to like not draw any attention to us. And I remember like shortly after applying for DACA and getting DACA, I like made a sweatshirt with my sister and it had like undocumented, unafraid, unapologetic. And my parents would get so mad at us anytime we would wear it out in public and they would get so paranoid. And there was like a time we went to McDonald's and we wanted to get breakfast and then there was a police officer in line and my parents were just trying to hide me from their view and they were like go to the car go hide they were like don't let them see you which is so crazy because just a couple years prior to that georgia was trying to like pass a law to allow officers to ask any civilian um for immigration status Mm -hmm. and So there's still that lingering trauma of seeing those types of laws try to go into effect. And even though it never did, there was still like so much fear of what what does it mean to feel emboldened and to start speaking out more? But how does that also jeopardize the safety of your family and your community along the way? Let's let's pivot. Let's let's talk a little bit about more kind of your dreams, your aspirations, you know, I see you in 10 years, and let's go to you, Maggie. Let's, let's assume we're, we, we catch up in 10 years. What's your life like? What, how, how did you find a way to pay it forward? That's a good question. I think what's interesting about that question is when I get together with all of my other DACA friends, that's the question that we always like dream about, right? Like, what are we going to do in 10 years? We're going to be backpacking around Europe and you know, visiting the Eiffel Tower and visiting our families and, and stuff like that. that Uh, we dream about all the time but it's honestly really difficult to think through like what am I going to be doing in 10 years considering I don't know what I'm going to be doing in two years so I want to say like in 10 years I am going to be an extremely even more successful software engineer who is backpacking around Europe and visiting the Apple Tower, but we'll see. We'll see where it, it takes us. Congratulations on your promotion. I <laughs> know you, you just got promoted. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. Uh, how about you, Teresa? Yeah, I think that question like definitely plays in a little bit into the type of careers that we can get into. Mm-hmm. And so actually, my when I first joined Healthline, one of the questions that my teammates asked me was, what did you want to be when you grow up? And I wanted to be a teacher. And being a teacher is something that, as a DACA recipient, I can be, Um, especially in Georgia. I think a couple years ago, Teach for America, like, started also including DACA recipients. Uh, But to me, it never sounded like a stable career because of the fact that you have to renew 
your DACA every two years and there's a lot of uncertainty, especially the political things that are going on. So I met one of my college alums who was um, a Teach for America teacher. And when DACA got rescinded back in 2017, she had to leave her classroom and she was going to Congress and she was rallying and advocating. But I think that that like hearing that experience was really traumatizing for me. And it like brought a lot of fear for wanting to be an educator because I, I like for me, I consider this classroom to be one of the spaces that students should consider a safe haven. Yeah. And that should be like the place where they see the most stability. And so for undocumented students to also have an undocumented teacher, I, I consider that to be like a disservice to my students mm. out of fear of what happens if I have to leave and then I leave them mid school year or something. No. And I know that we have, we have a lot of scholars who are educators and a lot of um, people in the immigrant community who have become teachers and are in that space. But it, like for me personally, I'm still struggling with that possibility. And so even though I still have an aspiration to be a teacher um, without also bringing in that fear for myself into the classroom. Maybe someday you can be a teacher. Uh, this is a little bit why I want to have this conversation because you guys are in a state of limbo that, you know, it's been very difficult. And, and I commend you both because you haven't let it stop you and, and you have used it as a way to, you know, really empower yourself and, and fight for yourself and, and be a role model for others. But, you know, going back to this notion that there's 100,000 kids uh, graduating high school every year that right now face the bleakest of moments, right? There's no DACA, there's no opportunity what advice would you give them? And let, let's start uh, with you, Teresa. What advice would you give these kids that are either in high school or graduating high school? Yeah, I think my biggest piece of advice is just reaching out to communities, reaching out, because the biggest support system that I found after being a scholar was just getting to know that there were so many other people around who were sharing the same experiences and had already faced struggles that I was currently facing. And I didn't have that when I was going through my K-12 education. Do you feel American? I think it's such an interesting thing because I think that I don't let myself feel fully American just yet. That I still believe myself to be ni de aquí ni de allá, not from here nor from there. Yeah. And so I don't want to feel completely Mexican or completely American because I know that I can't show it and I can't prove it mm. to the public. And so I see myself as like really an outsider to both places. What a, what a horrible place to be, right? Where you, you don't really have an anchor that you call home and, and there's this notion of limbo state that is, I think, so unfair. Um, how about, I, I just wanna, wanna dig in into one more area. Um, and, and, and this has a lot to do with how, how do you guys view your role um, in terms of your, you know, a Golden Door Scholars, you know, the one thing we talk about is this is a pay it forward model. I know both of you have done tremendous amount of paying it forward. So I would love to hear a little bit of that and a little bit of your aspirations and other ways that you, you intend to pay it forward. Yeah, I remember when I was in college and I was struggling financially and I was like, one day if I graduate, I'm going to give back. I, whoever helps me, I'm going to give back. And I did. That's exactly what I did. So I'm a current mentor for Golden Door. 
mentor for a, a couple of other nonprofits, although are nonprofits that serve students in underprivileged communities because it's such it's so important for me to give my resources and my help and my experience to people that are going through something that I went through because when I was in high school like I mentioned I I was afraid right I was closed off I didn't tell anyone what my struggles were so I struggled on my own and I looking back I honestly regret it like I wish I had been more open and more talkative because I would have opened the door to so many other resources had I had I not like just been afraid and, and been closed off and so I always say it's better for me to to now that I am where I am, turn around and, and help someone that's going through that and say, hey, don't be afraid. Like, I'll give you a, help, a helping hand. Listen, I know this has been uh, a lot of fun for me, and I appreciate you guys being so open and so forthcoming. And just, I'm hopeful that anybody that listens to this podcast um, that didn't know much about being undocumented, now it's informed. And if you had your own opinions, hopefully now seeing, you know, you two beautiful people come here and, and share your amazing courage and stories will will change some mind. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Maggie, Teresa, what an awesome, awesome interview. I am so glad that the listeners got to meet you. And I am so grateful to all the Golden Door Scholars for all the lessons you have taught us over the years. I'm also grateful to the hundreds of volunteers, mostly from Red Ventures, that have served as mentors of this program. But I'll be remiss not to mention the thousands of young adults we met that we were unable to help. And we're committed for all the ones that are still coming through the system to stay in the fight and continue to help as best as we can. Here are the three things. Number one is what I've learned from these young adults over the last 10 years. Without any hope, they never gave up. Without any light at the end of the tunnel, they did the right thing over and over again. There's something about the human spirit that shines through in these amazing dreamers. Number two, it reminds me of the saying that is hard to hate up close. I am certain that if you sat here today and saw into the eyes of Maggie and Teresa, you would see your kids, your cousins, your friends, their dreams and their aspirations. In these days when our country is so divided, spending time with those that may have a different journey is as important as anything we do. And number three is that hope does have an expiration date. 100,000 kids this year will graduate high school with very little opportunity to continue their education. It is time for Congress to act. This is the one issue where 75% of Americans are in agreement. These young adults deserve a path to citizenship. No more excuses, no more finger pointing. It is time to do the right thing right now.